Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, Episode 82. Today our guest is Kareem Bishaw, creator and principal consultant at Living Orgs. Living Orgs helps organizations become more effective by bringing disciplined processes and increasing accountability to their teams. Shai and I will be talking with Kareem about his work in restructuring organizations and their teams from the standard top-down structure to new organizational styles that create more clarity and accountability. The end result is a business that is more efficient, has a stronger culture, and quicker to adapt to a changing marketplace. Good morning, Kareem. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, It's great to have you on the show today. Tell us how you became focused on the organizational structure of businesses. Thanks for asking. It was really a natural evolution. When I first moved to the United States from Egypt, the only job I had ever had was as an entrepreneur. I had started to manage my own company in Egypt for about 10 years and went through a lot of the joys and pains of being a young, naive entrepreneur who thought they could change the world and ran into a lot of the realities of actually managing human beings and managing an organization. And then I moved to the United States and I actually thought I was going to move into the priesthood. I went to seminary for two years and and studied theology, and then went to uh, business school and did my MBA. So it's really a confluence of how much I care about the technology of how human beings operate, how they come together, what motivates us, what actually makes a group of people do better than others, what what brings the best out of human beings in any kind of situation, and also really caring about the potential and power of how business can change this world and make it a better place. So my heart and my mind have always been aligned behind this work. And then finally, I was part of a, an organization called Dev Bootcamp. I don't know if you've heard of it. It was the company that started the rash of these 12-week developer boot camps. And we were going through typical growing pains. We were about 12 employees growing to 50 in the first year. And we wanted to adopt a new way of organizing to get the best out of the people who were working there. And we ran into holacracy. And I remember as the leadership group, we were all sitting around the table deciding whether or not to adopt holacracy. And everyone was either a yes or a heck yes. And I was the only heck no. Um, out of all the management group. And quickly within a month, uh, they decided to adopt Holacracy anyway. And quickly within a month, I became the strongest advocate of it and really grew to love the potential of what happens in an organization, both to the organization, the team, and also the individuals in it. When we decide to focus on the processes by which we operate, on the accountabilities and agreements between us about how to bring true equity and empowerment to every single person in the organization while maintaining a strong sense of alignment. So after then, it was just a natural momentum of this work. And I just grew to love it and work with over 30 companies in the past two and a half years. Sounds like something that really energized you. But let's go back a little bit to what's traditionally been out there, the hierarchical organization as it exists predominantly in American industry to date. Mm -hmm. What were you finding as some of those structures that may or may not be working out there? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm really glad you're starting there because the really funny thing about the command and control hierarchy, which is, you know, one name for the top-down management or the management structure that I'd say about 98% of organizations, whether business or not, around the world use it so far, is that the kind of magic trick that's been played on us is it's a technology. It's not natural order. It's not divine law. It's human-made technology uh, invented most likely by the Chinese military about three millennia or so ago for a very particular reason. And it does certain things really well. I mean, it does. There's no benefit in denying some of the very strong aspects of command and control structure. You know, commands can travel down really quickly. It is sometimes easier to build alignment with a large group of people. It's sometimes easier, at least for the executive team, to think that they have control of the organization because they have a sense of what they say will get done and propagated quickly down the ladder throughout the organization. But what I found in my experience, both as a member of this hierarchy and also working with companies that are managing using this hierarchy, is that there are definitely things that it does not do very well. It is a very rigid structure. And because of the rigidity of the structure and because basically people can only move up or down the command line, what we tend to do as intelligent, creative, political human beings that we are is that we start working around the structure, you know, what we call politicking, doing work actually outside of the meeting room, but at the water cooler, you know, anybody who's worked in a company understands this. You sit in a meeting with 10 or 12 people, you sit there quietly, you let people talk, and then you know that you're going to walk out of the meeting and get the actual work done around the water cooler with those one or two people who actually make decisions. And you're constantly using so much of your energy for this kind of political maneuvering around the command and control hierarchy, not because you're a bad person, not because you're inherently manipulative, but just because you really want to get work done and the command and control hierarchy isn't allowing you to do so. So that's definitely one aspect of it is the rigidity of it forces people to work around it and then it just becomes a burden and something that is entirely different from the reality of how people working together. Another aspect I learned and noticed about the command and control hierarchy is definitely the further down you go, the more disconnected and dissociated people working at the bottom of this hierarchy become. They're very disconnected from purpose. They're very disconnected from strategy and how decisions get made on the top side of the organization. And there's frustration on both sides. The management and executive team feel frustrated that their well-thought-out strategy and well-thought-out ideas and purpose don't get propagated down, that they're having to constantly manage people spending 40% of their time on Facebook or not performing well or being frustrated or leaving the organization. And then the people at the bottom of the hierarchy, so to speak, feel equally frustrated that they feel disconnected from the decision making. They don't feel like they have an agency or a hand in it. And they feel like even though they're on the front lines of the work and they're the ones seeing the customer, meeting with the customer, dealing with the market, engaging on the front line, they don't have a say, a true say in the decisions of the organization and how it moves and what it gets to do or even in their own team. And that level of disconnect between the top and the bottom, nobody wins. Everybody loses from the owner to the executive team to the employees and definitely the customer in the market as well. So that's one place that I found a lot of pain in that system. You bring up a couple of things that are really fun to watch within organizations. And <laughs> one of them being hierarchical diagram that we have as far as the org chart. And then we have this overlayer of with different colored pencils and pens of each individual, how they actually interact across the organizations. And it's this big spaghetti organization, if you will. Uh, yeah. We like the nice clean piece of paper of our, of our organizational structure 
But the reality is the individuals cross-pollinate and cross-interact continuously at high speed. And how do we measure that? And how do we value that? And how do we train people to go up the structure, if at all? And you mentioned also the disengagement, which is a prevalent problem throughout the industry today, is finding out how do we engage every member of the staff in the team to be a part of the infrastructure. So major challenges. Absolutely. Not just is it a challenge, it rewards a very particular aspect of some people, which is basically the ability to politically maneuver, which is not, again, I don't mean politicking as in, in any bad way. It is a skill, just like any other skill, but it tends to be the skill that is most rewarded in these systems. Because as you said, these transparent pencil lines that you need to draw that are very difficult for people to actually maintain, those who somehow have the ability and the willingness to track these things internally and these lines tend to do well in organizations. I do these things with companies called a culture and process audit before I do any implementation, where I ask them over 40 or 50 questions, everybody in the organization, and we get a sense of how things are working. And one of the questions is political maneuvering is not needed to get ahead in this organization, you know, to see where people scale that. And usually that's one of the questions that people answer the worst, you know, lower than 30% score for most organizations on average, because they just feel like if you're good at political maneuvering, you're going to get ahead. If you're not, you're not. And that's true in most hierarchical organizations. And it's such a shame because there are so many people that have so many amazing skills and so much work and heart and innovation to give that just don't have that skill that tend to suffer and their team suffers with them. So, Kareem, I know so many business owners have experienced these challenges in their culture. What's a better alternative? I've studied a lot of alternative management structures while I was at business school. I actually, that was my focus. And I have not yet found an alternative that is as viable and as workable as the system that I help implement with organizations that is called Holacracy. And it's such a functional system. It is truly the first technology that I see as a viable alternative to command and control that could be applied to a wide range of organizations. Hundreds of organizations are already using it from organizations as large as three to 4,000 people to organizations as small as five people are using it so far. And I've come to work with my clients to adapt Holacracy specifically to their organization to see what aspects of Holacracy works very well for them and what aspects does not. But that is definitely primarily the structure that I use to work with people. And what is the underlying philosophy of Holacracy? So I break down Holacracy into three separate pillars, so to speak. So one of the main pillars of Holacracy is this idea of organizing around the work and not around the people. So we spoke earlier about, you know, this org chart that we draw out once or maybe do a reorg once every couple of years, and then people tend to ignore it and start working around it and draw the visible pencil lines between how they actually get work done. The first thing we do with Holacracy is we say no. What we're going to do is we're going to make the actual working structure incredibly explicit and real. Like this is part of what I start calling working together as adults, not as parents and children, is that we mean what we say and what we agree to is what we're actually going to do. So we make the structure very explicit. And what I mean when I say we organize around the work, not the people, is you take, for example, 
any position such as, you know, CTO, chief technical officer, each one of us might think we have an idea of what that position means. But if I ask, which I did, by the way, ask five different CTOs what they do from day to day, no two people will give you the same answer. That role ends up molding and changing based on the organization and what's actually needed and the size and all sorts of things. So what we say is forget these titles and positions. We organize instead into these things called roles. Each role has a purpose and has a set of accountabilities. And we separate roles from souls. So the person who used to be the CTO will instead be filling these eight to 10 roles that make up all the different accountabilities and purposes that the CTO used to do. For example, technology strategist or coach or a role that's you know called lead link that gives feedback to people and prioritizes work to uh, budget, to architect, whatever all these different aspects of the CTO is. And then the person will move fluidly in and out of these roles based on what purpose they're trying to fulfill in the moment. It's called context switching. We do it all the time. You know, Each of us, for example, have thousands of roles that we play in our lives, whether that be father, husband, brother, lover, executive, coach, all of the things that we do. And we move in and out of these. We're just not very explicit about them. So what we say is we're going to make every single one of these roles at work really explicit and draw out all these relationships very clearly in the system. We use a software called GlassFrog so that by the end of the first two weeks of my engaging with a client, you have a very clear and actually accurate and explicit map of every single relationship in the organization and how work actually gets done, not just a reorg of the organization. And that's kind of the first pillar. It's called organizing around the work and not around the people. The second really important aspect of holacracy is a very disciplined process of tactical work. Tactical just means how we get work done. Holacracy was really influenced and inspired by agile uh, software development and also by GTD, David Allen's GTD. It stands for getting things done. It's a really useful and practical system of how to prioritize personal work and get it done. Holacracy kind of took this and expanded it to how an entire team can work together. So I teach teams how to facilitate incredibly tight tactical meetings where we resolve one agenda item at a time with a lot of discipline and a lot of focus and find a next action to each agenda item. And what I do specifically that other organizations don't do is then I also teach organizations, David Allen's getting things done, and we marry both these systems in a project management tool like Asana or like Rike, uh, their online project and task management tools, so that all of your work becomes very explicitly and in a very disciplined way captured in this project task management system. And everybody has a way of prioritizing their tasks and projects. And the work, again, becomes really explicit. So that there's no more all talk and no action meetings, no more death by meeting, no more going to a meeting for an hour and a half and not having any idea of what the next action is. Everything is actionable and all actions are caught and treated like explicit contracts. So that's kind of the, the second aspect of Holacracy, this really disciplined, tactical way of working together. The third aspect of Holacracy is then distributed governance. Now that we have this really explicit system of roles and accountabilities, and now that we have this really disciplined way of working together tactically, how do we reorganize in a live, dynamic way 
without one singular authority. You know, just like the human body, if everything were controlled centrally by the brain, the human body wouldn't function as well. Some things need to be controlled by the brain and some things need to be controlled by the nervous system. Some things need to be controlled on a cellular level at the extremities, the same way with an organization. So we teach every team how to change their very structure based on the realities of the market. So every team has the power to change the roles and accountabilities within them to realign their purpose to the purpose of the organization organization in a very clear way and change their very structure so that the organization is literally evolving and growing in a way that no one person can manage or control. But somehow with that evolution, maintaining a very strict adherence to the strategy and direction and purpose of the organization. These are kind of the three pillars in a very broad way of holacracy and how I teach it. And Kareem, what is a typical engagement with an average client, let's say, of 50 people? The process involved can be extensive, I would imagine. And what's the implementation time frame that a business owner might be looking at? It's definitely extensive and involved, but also I've developed a way to make sure that it's really practical so that very quickly they're gaining the benefit of this powerful system. So the average implementation would go something like this. I would first engage with the client, you know, speak with them, understand what's going on in their company, what's working, what's not working. And then we do the culture and process audit where I ask every single employee a series of 30 to 40 questions on a survey and we collect all this data and then I share this data with the owner or the executive team and whomever they want me to share it with and then we make a decision an implementation plan based on what is going well in the company and where they need support and where things really need to change so that we're actually tracking the implementation in a data-driven way and not just doing holacracy for the sake of holacracy. I want this to be a very practical solution that they can see palpably improve the efficiency and effectiveness of the organization. So that's the first step that we do. And then I meet with every single person who leads a team in the organization. And we spend two weeks basically writing out the explicit structure, like I said, writing out everything into roles and accountabilities. That takes about two weeks of an hour to two of each team leads time with me, online meetings. And then I come and I do a launch at the organization. So we spend three days together where we dive into the theory, the principles, the spirit behind Holacracy. And that's where I get everyone or most of everyone, hopefully, buy in behind the spirit of why we're doing this. What does it mean to be empowered? What does it mean to be an entrepreneur within the organization and really take ownership of the sense of purpose in the organization? So all of this we do together within a three day launch. And then I start facilitating tactical meetings for the team for the first six weeks. So every team will meet one hour a week in a tactical meeting, and I will facilitate that meeting and teach them how to work within this powerful system in Asana and in Glassfrog and get all their work done there. And then I will teach them how to do that facilitation, and they will then grow and graduate and start doing that work themselves. And the whole implementation for like a 50-person organization usually is about two to three months. So I have to know, Kareem, you mentioned earlier that you were with an organization who took a vote whether or not to implement holacracy and you were a staunch no. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I'm curious, like what your initial reaction that caused you to feel that way? Clearly, you've come a long way and your opinion of how this works. And how does that relate to some of the resistance you've seen in the implementations you've done? 
Thank you. So I do implementations quite differently from a lot of the other holacracy providers. There aren't that many. There are four official holacracy providers in the United States. And I do it a little bit differently in that I delay out the distributed governance process. I basically establish systems where we just do the tactical implementation first. And then the part about running governance meetings and that every change in accountability has to happen through a governance meeting. It is one of the most beautiful, but also one of the more complex and difficult parts of Holacracy to Grok. I have a belief that if a company implements that from day one, it tends to stall the system and it becomes a lot more burdensome. And a lot of people feel disengaged and disconnected, which I've seen happen with a lot of implementations, including when I was a client of Holacracy. And that was primarily the reason why I was a staunch no, is because it felt too burdensome. It felt like too much of a change. It felt like we were doing it just for the sake of the system instead of for the sake of the work. It was a system that claimed that we would be more efficient, get more done. But then I felt like we were going to spend too much time just working on the system. And some of my fears turned out to be true and a lot of them turned out not to be true. But this is why I decided to do implementations differently because I learned from my experience and I learned from my mistakes as a client and I wanted to offer a different option for my clients. And today it's great. I mean, I think part of the wisdom and intelligence of Holacracy One, that's the company that owns the Holacracy trademark and process and I'm an official provider of, is that they have this diverse ecosystem where they allow people to offer it in slightly different ways to suit different clients' needs and different clients' proclivities. So definitely, I would say this idea of phasing out the implementation and delaying the distributed governance until later has been one of the hallmarks of the way I do implementation and one of the reasons why it's different and I think a lot easier. It feels a little bit less like a culture hostile takeover of an organization where holacracy can sometimes feel that way. So for a business owner who may be interested in pursuing a holacracy organizational structure, what are their next steps? So they have a good group of people, but somehow they're just not operating optimally. They're just not getting the best out of their people. They're running around in circles. There's a lot of politicking and interpersonal baggage that is holding them back from performing optimally. I strongly suggest that you just give it a try. Come over to our website, livingorgs.com, and just request the free culture and process audit. It's a very inexpensive engagement of just asking the questions of what is working and what is not working in my culture and in the processes in my organization. And from there, we will both learn so much about what's actually happening and what isn't happening. And we can design a customized implementation plan for your organization that will be data driven and will follow the data two, three months out, six months out and a year out to make sure that we've improved on the key areas that will take your culture forward. I cannot advise enough to take the time to slow down so you can speed up. I've heard this adage before that I really like, which is most startups drown, they don't starve. It is so true. There's so much information and there's so much data coming in and there's so many different prioritizations that spending the time to really get your processes in line and becoming a well-honed, well-tuned machine will serve you for the rest of the life of your organization. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kareem. We've really enjoyed our time with you. Thank you both so much, as have I. You know, it's interesting. I always used to dislike either marketing or public relations. It always felt a little bit strange for me, like I'm you know, trying to sell something. But in truth, I'm so passionate about this work. I genuinely care about it, and I get really excited about people hearing about it. So I'm in such gratitude for the work the two of you are doing and for choosing to share a little bit of my story and what I do with people in the hopes of if it's a good fit for them, that they can find more purpose and meaning in their work and work together better. It's such an 
exciting time in our lives and such a good way to use our time and our energy to just like help people do what they do better. Yeah. So that we can move the work forward and move the world in a better place. I'm deep gratitude to both of you. Thank you so much. And thanks for providing so much great value to our industry and to our business owners. You have a great day. To you, to you too as well. Thank you. Our guest today has been Kareem Bashaw, founder of Living Orgs, helping companies attain empowered organizations with a clear agile structure and accountability. You can learn more about Kareem as well as find links to his mentioned downloads and website in our show notes at businessownersradio.com. This episode has been sponsored by Align for Business. That's aligned, the number four, business.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.